2 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, Paul writes, God speaks to us this morning. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Lord, we pray just the blessing of just hearing your word in one sense is good enough. But we pray now that somehow, some way, the beauty, the goodness, the truth of Christ may be manifested through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you had many conversations with folks where it ended up not being much of a conversation, ended up being just kind of a a one-way monologue maybe? You were wanting to share some of what you felt and thought, but that person just kind of unloaded on you. Just that one-way monologue, right? But surely not in the church. That didn't happen. Maybe a spouse is hitting the other one. Yeah, actually. Or, Mom, you did that to me on the way to church this morning. Just a one-way. Well, that's not the way it should be. And Paul this morning is going to show us, here's a wonderful picture of dialogue. And what you have there is a picture of, some folks might know, at least Bill Hall would know that that's a, a flywheel. But for those other than Bill Hall, flywheel simply stores rotational energy. And because of its moment of inertia, it resists rotational speed. To simplify that in my own terms, I think of it as something being kind of close to perpetual motion. Where something just gets going and going and going and going. It takes a long time before it slows down. So that's what we're going to think of is this picture for the church, of a relational flywheel. So if you look in your uh, bulletin, you'll see a picture, and we'll see it up here, of the church's flywheel. And this is going to be our simple outline. That there's, As we go through this passage, we're going to see where Paul first requests prayer from the congregation. All right? Just as Zach came up here and requested prayer for his ministry. All right? So Paul is requesting prayer for his ministry, then he's going to give encouragement in this dialogue to the church. Encourage them. And then it's going to cycle through where he's going to move from encouragement to a challenge or an exhortation where he's saying, here's some things that you need to change. So moving around the circle. And then he hits giving prayer for the church. And really with this flywheel, that will continue the request for prayer, the giving of prayer, the encouragement, the exhortation, that this is how relationship can and should work within the church. And it will just continue and continue. So the big idea, we would say, is that because God is faithful, we pray for each other amidst relationship to rest in God's love and Christ's endurance. And we'll see that through the passage. So again, I invite you, please keep your Bibles open if you have one. We're going to walk through the passage 
in the outline, in the bulletin, will follow that as well. So verse 1, Paul starts off. He says, finally, he's getting close to the end. But as any preacher or whatever, finally doesn't really mean finally. There's going to be a good bit more to come. But he's getting close. And he starts off with a request for prayer. Paul's nearing the end. He shows a mutual concern in the church. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, requesting prayer. In this prayer, though, is a present tense imperative, meaning, number one, pray for us, a command. Number two, it's present tense. It's ongoing. It's continuous. He's saying, it's not good enough if you just fire off one Hail Mary for me. Not good enough. You need to be constantly praying for our ministry. This is a chance for the church to participate along with Paul. Ben Franklin, one of the U.S. founding fathers, said, He that has once done you a kindness will be more ready to do you another than he whom you yourself have obliged. A little bit of almost like manipulation there. Get somebody to do something for you, and then they'll be more likely to continue to do that for you. That's not what Paul was doing. Maybe Ben Franklin, but Paul was not manipulating. It's his pattern for ministry. Pray for him. Pray for his team. So let's just take a minute now for a quick application. Are you, am I, humble enough to request prayer and submissive enough that it would be according to God's will? Will you request prayer and will that prayer you're requesting be according to God's will? And also we think about, well, prayer is kind of hard for me. Well, think about this. You talk to your friends about how they're doing. Prayer is talking to God about his mission and your part in that mission. A, A group of guys here in the church, our journey group, that's one of the things we focus on. There is a missional element to the group when we meet about praying for each other that the gospel would go out. Do you... Pray for your church leaders regularly. I'll request it. Adam's holier than me. He doesn't need it as much. I'll take your prayer. You can pray for us as church leaders. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. We need it. And then finally on the application, do you have someone that you pray for regularly? Regularly praying for them. When you do that, You see how God opens your heart that you care for them more. You're compassionate for them more. You want the best for them. When you are praying for them regularly, that's all wrapped up in this relationship that Paul is driving at here. So that's kind of his motivation, what's going on. What is the content of the prayer that Paul asked for? Look at what it says in verse 1. That the Lord... May spe- uh, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. That word there, to run, to be honored, it is a picture, as Paul so often does, of a runner running in a race and being victorious. I see the picture in the, the old movie Chariots of Fire. Eric Little, he's running in the Olympics, the 400 meters. He falls down and he somehow gets back up 
and he runs, and if you watch in the movie, it's got that goofy, his head is just flying all over the place because he's feeling God's pleasure. He wins the race, the glory, the, the running ahead, experiencing glory. And then when he went on the mission field after that, children would come to hear him uh, teach, and they were just awestruck. Here's the Olympic champion. That was, in a sense, that, that glory that he was receiving even then. If your favorite actress or singer or whatever showed up here, that that impact of their presence is in effect their glory. So that's what the word of God deserves and that what Paul was longing for, that it would speed ahead. If we think of COVID, we desire for the speed of a cure, a vaccine, or whatever, that COVID, that the, that the progress to zero, that that would speed ahead, the R number, that it would speed ahead for the sake of physical healing. Brothers and sisters, do we long for the word of God to speed ahead? Do we have targets for that? that the word of the Lord would speed ahead, that the gospel would go out, that churches would be planted, planted, that the gospel would spread with speed because of the spiritual sickness that our world has. Paul is saying to pray for that. And then he says to pray also that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. He's not praying just, well, I'm scared, pray for me, that I'll be protected. The reason for his prayer is that it would hinder the advance of the gospel if he cannot, if they cannot go forward. There were wicked and evil men hindering them. This was real persecution. And it used to be just a year or two ago when we would talk about real persecution, we'd always have to point to the church abroad. Which is true. The church persecuted throughout the world is still probably more serious than what we experience here in America. But we have seen that amped up, haven't we? Just in the last many months. That we are experiencing some level of persecution. Shared this recently just just a couple weeks ago with, with Love Life. Just going out there to pray. And children, our children being cursed for coming to pray and to sing on behalf of the unborn. There is persecution. Missionary friend, uh, he converted to Christ years back from, uh, in Senegal. And a death warrant went out for him from his own family for converting to Christ. There is persecution. There is ridicule, physical punishment, even imprisonment. That's, it's not just the unpleasant nature of that. Paul is saying that would rob the opportunity to spread the gospel. So his heart is that the gospel would speed outward. So that's his request for prayer. That's where the top of the circle Starts, Paul requests prayer, and then he moves to an encouragement to the brothers, to the sisters there. 
And that encouragement flows out of relationship that he has with the church. And then there's this seemingly trite statement here. He says, for not all have faith. But if you look at that in the Greek, what he's doing is he's amplifying. There's the word unfaithful. And then right next to that Greek word, faithful is Christ. The Lord is faithful. Putting those together. Yes, many are unfaithful, but Christ is faithful. So ultimately, our encouragement is in Christ. Ultimately, that is where Paul is pointing us. Back in the 1600s, Puritan Christopher Love. Puritan you might not have heard much of. But he was being persecuted for the faith, put in jail, dear wife, young, young children, praying for him. He's loving them, praying for them. They get brief visits. He's faithful to the point of being executed. And when he's executed, his children are so young, his wife has a child in the womb when he is, he's uh, executed for the faith. Thomas Manton Another Puritan comes and preaches his funeral. Manton could have said so much powerful about Christopher Love. His testimony is amazing. Read the book. Manton's funeral, just about all he preached, page upon page, of Christ. Of Christ, knowing that was the encouragement that Christopher Love's family ultimately needed was to point them to Christ. And that's what we're to do, to hold on amidst the season of lament. There's no better plan B. And God's faithfulness guarantees that our suffering has meaning, that our persecutors will reap their just reward in the end, and that our future is secure in Christ. There are times you'll get hurt by others in the church. You might wonder if it's worth it. Those parents know children can bite. Sheep within the church can bite. You help someone and before you know it, they turn on you and make you the villain. Life will let you down. Your neighbors will turn on you. But the Lord will always be there and he will do two things. Paul points out, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. He will guard you. He will strengthen you. He will protect you. He will guard you. Paul said, there is spiritual warfare. It's real. Protection from the evil one he refers to. And it's real for us now. But he says, God will guard you. You picture picture an airplane. Massive airplane has at the back that little tail. Okay? That tail provides horizontal stability, vertical stability. It doesn't get rid of, the plane doesn't get rid of the turbulence or the storms, but that tail protects us or protects the plane amidst it. So Paul's not giving any health and wealth gospel here. He's saying that those trials will come, but Jesus will protect and guard you. So Paul moves from the Request from prayer and encouragement to the congregation that Christ will protect and guard you. Then he moves to kind of a challenge 
or an exhortation, after building relationship with them, he can say, here's something, an area where you need growth. And Paul's confidence in the church, it wasn't, it wasn't just blind, Pollyannish affirmation. He knew how they were really doing. But his expression of confidence, it's, it's not hollow. It was praise directed to the church as a whole because they were persisting in the faith and because of their devotion to the gospel. And he knew, that he knew there's people out there living inappropriately, but they were not beyond hope. Now think of it this way. The, uh, the call to worship, there was that passage about the bride, the bridegroom. When you go to a wedding, you can look at the bride to see how beautiful she is. But there's another way to know. You know what you can do? Look at the groom. Look at the groom. And Zach's going to do this. His jaw's going to drop. He might tear up. He's going to be overwhelmed by the beauty of Kendall. In the same way, if we want to know what the church looks like, see what Jesus says about his church. That's how we know the beauty of the church is because what Christ says of her. In Paul's confidence, he says, we have confidence. The root is in the Lord himself. There's an indicative statement here. He says that you are doing, okay? You're doing well and will do. There's an imperative. There's an indicative. You're doing well and you will continue to do well. Live out your identity. Keep on keeping on, even though it's hard. That's his exhortation. It's hard. There's no plan B. Keep on keeping on. So he moves from then exhortation. He moves to a prayer given, where he's going to pray now for the church at Thessalonica. In a, in a faithful people empowered by God and protected by God, in some sense, this church is, is, doesn't need maybe what the church at Corinth needed. This church needs guidance. And he prays that their guidance, the Lord would direct. He speaks of directing. Directing what? Their hearts. The heart is the center of their being. When we see in Scripture, the heart, the soul, the spirit, it's the core, it's the center of their being. He prays for them. In, in, in the heart, uh, what, what to pray for them? He's praying for their hearts to be directed. You say, what? Towards what? And often you think of that, what, what do I pray for somebody? Remember, early on with the children, we would, you know, okay, so-and-so, you pray for them. Well, I don't know what to pray for them. You know, doesn't that often happen? Pray for so I don't know what to pray for them. We'd say, you know what? Pray that... They would love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbors themselves. You pray that. You pray that for me. I'll take that anytime. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. And that's similar to what Paul is praying here, that their hearts would be directed towards God's love and Christ's endurance. Okay? Got it? But let's unpack that a little bit. Let's unpack what does he mean there. The purpose... Towards God's love. 
Right? So when you hear God's love, and, and actually let's be a little more specific here in the passage, it says, direct your hearts to the love of God. All right, so is that either your love for God or God's love for you? Yes. Ask an or question. That's I'm, We're safe there. Yes. Okay. Which is it? All right. Fancy terms, it's either a subjective genitive or an objective genitive. Okay, what's that? All right. We're going to say it's a subjective genitive. Just trust me on it. It's God's love for you. Yes, you should love God, and Scripture talks about that other, word, other places, but this is God's love for them. Now, let's unpack that further. I'm going to show you a picture just of a, a simple waterfall. Okay, Don and I were hiking recently and uh, saw this waterfall. Beautiful waterfall. Pictures don't do justice, that kind of thing. But here's where this fits. Picture trying to put that waterfall into a cup. Can't do it. Can't do it. That is the same word. If we look at the Old Testament word for love, kesed. All right? And so really when you say kesed, you got to say chesed. And then the problem is, whoa, you better be back because aerosolization, whatever, that's just that spit's coming out there. So that, that Hebrew, the chech, it's got to be there. Now, get back on track here. The importance of this word, all right? There are lots of biblical words that have come into English, and we know what they mean. Amen and hallelujah, right? This word kesed should come into English because here's why. It's like the waterfall that is too big to put in a cup. Chad Bird, Hebrew scholar, says this. Kesed is its unfailing love, steadfast love, mercy, loving kindness, covenantal faithfulness, goodness, graciousness. Put that into one word in English. That's why we need to bring kesed into the English language. Okay? I have a friend with work. He's, he's a Jew. I try to share with the gospel with him. He'll chat me and just he'll greet me always with shalom, you know, peace. That's, that's great, yes. And I'll respond to him, kesed. Get it? It's bigger. But here's the deal with this word. This love of God, God's love, it's that kesed. And there is no English word for it except maybe one, Christ. God's love is pictured in Christ. And he is the one who has the perfect endurance. And there we're directed to the love of God and what? The last part, the steadfastness, the endurance of Christ. So the last word for us is steadfastness, endurance, okay? A long time steadfastness. For, for crossfitters, it's not a Fran, it's a Murph. Okay, that only connected maybe Jared and a couple others. That was, we got to expand this to get the steadfastness. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's not a teenage crush, it's a marriage. This is endurance. It's not a tweet, it's a novel. As Eugene Peterson says, it's a long, long 
obedience in the same direction. Endurance, endurance. So brothers and sisters, we're called to endure. We're called to be steadfast. For the one who's struggling, I want to see my spouse grow in the Lord and I'm desperate for that. It's taking a long time. Keep enduring and praying. For the one who wants their child to show growth, keep enduring. Or the one struggling with a lifelong sickness, keep on enduring. But you know what? You know, I talked about that subjective genitive and all that. The steadfastness of Christ is really the same thing. It's, yes, we endure. And yes, you better be steadfast. And yes, I better. But the focus of this passage is really Christ's endurance on our behalf. The focus goes off of us and on to him. Keith Vogt said this, if I thought that the kingdom of, uh, sorry, if I thought that the coming of the kingdom was reliant on humankind, I would be hopeless. If I thought that Jesus wasn't going to come again and judge the living and the dead with justice and truth, I would be hopeless. If I didn't believe that all things were being brought to perfection, I would be hopeless. And if I had not lived through countless ordeals, except by the grace of God, I would be hopeless. Our hope is in Christ's endurance for us when we take our eyes off of ourselves and are focused on Him. And I close with this. For the unbeliever, for the skeptic, It's really a similar thought of taking the eyes off yourself. Consider the common phrase that's come up. You've probably said it multiple times in the last several months. I'm so done with this. Right? Whatever's going on out there, all this, I'm so done with this. That was the effect of your statement. I'm so done with this. Poof. What effect did you have? What effect did I have? Nothing, little vapor, little, I'm so done with this, okay. For the unbeliever, is that not the same thing? It's all about your view of God. If God measures up to what you think of him, your only hope is not in what you can think of God or if he's there or not or you muster up your own goodness or whatever, Brother or sister, it's to ultimately rest and rely on God's love, Christ's faithfulness, what he thinks of you. Let us pray.